Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. What you're about to hear is wild. It is a conversation with Nassim Haramein, the renegade physicist who was seeking to merge science and spirituality. In fact, one of Nassim's most famous quotes is this, spirituality is nothing more than physics we have yet to find the equations for. I love that quote. And he's going to go deep into the science of spirituality in this conversation. This was recorded in Tallinn, Estonia, when Nassim came to conduct a six-hour workshop at Mind Valley University 2018. And here are a couple of things that we're going to be covering in this conversation. Can we equate consciousness to God? What is consciousness? How do we level up our consciousness? Can artificial intelligence replace consciousness? Nassim is going to share some wild ideas on how to actually create anti-gravity using plasma, which is one of the states of matter. And he's going to talk about how long he believes it'll take for humanity to colonize a distant planetary system. He will talk about a new future emerging from the discovery of wormholes and how to use wormholes to teleport ourselves across space. He's going to talk about the problem with today's science that's preventing some of the ideas that would bring us to a Star Trek future from emerging in the world. And he's going to talk about how we can literally teach our bodies to heal itself. So this is a wild conversation. It's humorous. It's funny. It's going to blow your mind. Nassim was voted one of the audience favorites at Mind Valley University, and I knew I had to bring this to the podcast. Let's get started with Nassim Haramin. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. I spent an hour with Nassim this morning, and this man blew my mind. The conversation went in every direction from human consciousness to time travel to basically can we travel at the speed of light to wormholes to Nikola Tesla. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation, Nassim, because you're kind of brilliant. Oh, thank you. I think the same of you. I so, think the same of everybody, actually. I think it's an amazing thing to be alive. And, you know, the miracle that happens in a person every second of the day is just brilliant. So the first question I'd like to open with, Nassim, and I guess it's more really of a subject matter I'd like you to talk about. You focus a lot on connection, on how when you study the universe, you find that everyone, every atom, every soul, every human being, every plant, we're all connected. Let's start by talking about connection. Right. Well, you know, it came from a more philosophical and intuitive sense when I was younger that I had in school these thoughts because I didn't pay attention much to what was going on up front. I commonly was thinking about all kinds of other things and I started to feel like the space between things may not be empty. You know, we only experience a very small part of what's going on in the space. There's all kinds of electromagnetic fields. There's all kinds of stuff that's happening in the space that we don't 
experience directly. And I started to think maybe the space between things is not empty, but it's full and it connects all things. But eventually, as I studied physics and I understood some of the basis of quantum field theory, I realized that actually we had found that the space is not empty at all, but full of energy. And eventually I wrote equations, I wrote physics on the space. I described the space. And when I wrote these physics, it outputted very fundamental constants in physics, like the mass of particles and their radius and the structure of galaxies and the structure of the universe and all these things. And as I wrote these mathematics, something remarkable happened, something I instinctively had come up with when I was young, but that just came out in the mathematics just beautifully. And that is that all the information of every other particles in the universe, every atom in the universe, seems to be present holographically in each atom, which connects them all through this wormhole network in the structure of space, like an information highway that is transferring information at very, very high bug rate, and that permits systems to self-organize. So it's really at the deep level that I see the connection between all things, not in only a philosophical way, but actually writing physics on it actually works. And this connection is the basis for a lot of your research. And the research you're doing right now is astonishing, because if Nassim's research is able to prove some of the things he's talking about, it has huge implications for humanity. For example, warp drives. For example, the ability to control gravity to, within the next 75 years, be able to go on a family vacation to Jupiter and back in record time by leveraging the control of gravity and wormholes. So let's talk about that. What are you researching right now? Well, actually, to go to Jupiter, you won't need a wormhole with a gravitational drive. But if you want to go to Alpha Centauri, you'll need one. <laughs> but yes, I'm working on these things because not only, you know, when you calculate the amount of energy, obviously, if everything is connected through this wormhole structure, micro wormhole at the quantum level, the energy level in a centimeter cube of space is enormous. And if we extracted just a billionth of a billionth of a percent of the energy that's in a centimeter cube of space in the structure of space-time, we could run the world for millions of years. So you're saying that in a centimeter cube of space, there's an energy, and I believe people commonly call it zero-point energy. If we yes. can learn to extract that, we can run humanity for millions of years. That's unlimited energy. Exactly. And according to what I found, it's actually the energy that runs reality, that runs the world. And eventually I wrote papers that advance these mathematics into actually that's the energy that makes you a conscious human being. It actually organizes system to eventually arrive to a system that's complex enough to become self-aware. So that's interesting. So are you saying that zero-point energy has a tangible relationship to consciousness? Yes, absolutely, according to what I found. And what I mean by what I found is that when I wrote these mathematics and I extracted these masses and these radiuses, I was able to make predictions, very important prediction about the nuclear of atom that was confirmed in accelerators in Switzerland. And my solution is the most precise solution on Earth today from theoretical tenant 
the standard model is off by 4%, which is like a universe away in quantum theory. So what I'm saying to you today is not just based on nice mathematics that right. may be too complex for you to understand or philosophy. It's actually now confirmed in experimental studies. That's incredible. Now, some scientists have said you deserve a Nobel Prize. Some scientists have said this is hogwash. Yes. How do you deal with that sort of <laughs> that huge polarization? Well, you know, I cry and I laugh. <laughs> 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 I think it's always difficult to make a change. I don't know about you, but in my life, you know, every large changes are difficult. But what I appreciate about you is that every great innovator was called a quack at some point, including Tesla and Einstein. Yeah. What I appreciate about you is that you're not just looking at matter and energy, but you're looking at matter, energy, and consciousness and how they all interrelate. Right. And as you find these pieces, as you find these little morsel of information across the physics, you end up with stuff in chemistry and you end up in stuff with biology and you end up with, you know, and it just built because if you have the correct foundation, you see, humans, we make these divisions in science. You know, we call this chemistry and we call this physics and we call this biology and all of this. But the universe doesn't do that. You know, just like the universe doesn't make lines on the planet and say, this is this country and this is this country. Right. And so basically the universe must be unified since it produces all this amazing biostructure that we call our reality from the physics all the way to consciousness. And so when you start to find something, and that's my belief, mm -hmm. when you start to find something that's very deep, fundamental at the truth of reality, then all this starts to unravel. And that's what I think is happening now. So question is, what then is consciousness? We're using that word a lot. Yes. And you said that consciousness is all around us. It's related to the zero point field. Correct. What is consciousness to you? Right. It's an important question. You know that when I started to give talks in physics conferences in the 90s, if you said the C word, it was like automatic dismissal. You were asked right. to leave, right? You could say the F word, but you could not say the C word. And so it was very difficult at the time, you can imagine. But now it's completely flipped around. Like the cool thing for physicists, especially after they retired, is to work on right. what is the source of consciousness and how did consciousness occur. And often people talk about this new idea that consciousness may be at the base of reality. And it's in many cases not very helpful. Because the word consciousness is used as if you said God is the base of reality. You still haven't told me anything about what that is, right? If you say consciousness, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, if you look at definitions of consciousness, it's not very useful neither. It says it's something that has to do with self-awareness, right? Becoming self-aware. What's important in that self-awareness understanding is that there's something that resembles a feedback. You knowing you are you. And as I wrote the physics that describe these fundamental laws, these fundamental principles of physics, and it was already in the philosophy that I had developed, but it showed up in the equation, I realized that the information is circulating. 
in feed-forward feedback structures. So that you can think of this Planck field, which is an electromagnetic field, uh-huh. this zero-point energy field, as bits of information. And this is exactly how I wrote the equation. That's why it's a holographic equation. And you can think of the bits being exchanged between the field and the surface and the interior of particles. And as you write the equations for this, it starts to look a lot like a feedback structure of information through the universal network. So in other words, the universe is feeding information to itself. Exactly. And that's how it grows. And that's how it becomes more and more complex and highly organized. So the universe is becoming more conscious as time goes on. Exactly. It's getting wiser. The universe is getting wiser and wiser. Yes. Right? But the other thing is, (laughs) you've also said that time doesn't exist. In the realm of consciousness, time is an illusion. And you've suggested that consciousness is going back and rewriting itself. That's right. Basically, what we call time is a linear set of information along a specific vector of space. So let me say this in a more simple way. No memory no time. If you can't remember what happened just before, you don't know that there's a linear function of time. You don't have evolution. So I modified Einstein, and I'm sure he's okay with it, but I changed the wordy coin, space-time, to space-memory, because it's more fundamental. Memory is required for time to exist, for evolutionary systems to exist. So I start to realize that maybe in this Planck field of information, we're leaving information as we're moving through space. And we're basically like put information on a hard drive in the magnetic field medium of a hard drive. We're leaving information on the Planck oscillating field of space-time, on the electromagnetic field of space-time. And that's what we call our memory. That memory is not in the brain. I actually wrote a paper on this. It was my first paper in biophysics a few years ago. And it just got cited by a very good team of biophysicists in the Netherlands. And it got a lot of press. But basically, it's saying that consciousness is not in your brain. But your brain and your whole body is like a bio-oscillator antenna tapped into that field of information. So basically, information is on the structure of space, and in each coordinates, think of each coordinates as one Planck second, which is really, 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 really short, right? It's like 10 to the minus 44 seconds, right? And can you give us perspective of what that looks like? You spoke about how the Earth is going around the sun, but the universe is expanding, so the sun is moving. So technically, we are moving through space Making a spiral. And like after a year, we're like billions of kilometers away from where we were a year prior. And we've left information on the structure of space, each one of us, along that path. And that's what we call our past. That is our memory imprint on the structure of space, which we're entangled with because everything is connected and all the protons in your body are connected to that information. Now, here's another question. Where does my consciousness end and your consciousness begin? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> if consciousness is also between us... Right. Isn't it all connected in some way? It is, but each coordinates in space-time is observing the universe from a different perspective. If I put an object between you and me right now, 
and I don't know, we have like, what, 400 people in the room. Not one of us is seeing this object from the same perspective. Every one of us, because we are in different coordinates in space-time, are seeing a different part of this right. object. We're all gathering different set of information. So although we're all part of the same consciousness flow of information, we are all in our feedback structure feeding a different set of information that all the combined sets of all the coordinates in space-time produce the reality we see. Do you guys follow this? It's a little bit of a feedback thing. How many of you here are wishing you paid more attention in science class? <laughs> you wouldn't have got that at school. <laughs> so if the universe is self-aware, is conscious, and we are some of the most sophisticated creations in the universe, and we all are individualization, right? Because we're all gathering different sets. Right. So we all look a little different because the universe in the feedback is organizing your body a little different than me because you're feeding the universe a little different set of information than I am. So we are just a highly organized bit of the universe That's where right. universal consciousness is expressing itself. That's right. You're like the structure of space-time extending itself and feeding information back to the whole. Wow. Yeah. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Einstein mentioned it. I mean, he approached it in some of his statements. What specifically did he say? I'm going to paraphrase the statement, something along the lines that objects are not in space, but they're an extension of space itself. Wow. Okay, yeah. so we got a couple of questions. This particular question is from a 14-year-old girl who's in the room, Tamara. If there's consciousness all around us, is there a way we can tap into this consciousness? And is that what intuition is? That's what I was saying earlier. Is like you're making a distinction between you and consciousness, and there's none. Your consciousness, what you call your self-awareness, is the tap. You're tapped already. But you can increase the amount of information flow. You can increase your influence on the structure of space. I call it vacuum engineering. You can create a larger tap to have a larger influence on the structure of space if you become aware that you have that ability, that you can connect with the space. So how would you do that? Well, the equation says that every proton in the nuclear of every one of your atoms, and you're made out of 100 trillion cells, each cell is made out of 100 trillion atoms. So there's a lot of those little guys, okay? It's very advanced, it's very complex, it's remarkable, like there's a miracle happening every billionth of a second in your body. There's a billion, billion chemical change occurring every second, I mean, a million cell division every second, it's remarkable. So all this is happening, right? And the equation says that each proton is connected to all other protons in the universe, that all the information in the universe is present in each one of them. So if you actually want to know about the universe, where do you go? Inside yourself, right? So we are constantly putting our attention outside ourselves because that's what we learn to do. But there's other techniques to help you Bring your consciousness inside yourself. And 
If you do that, you can get more and more conscious of the deeper layers of your existence because you think of yourself as one thing, but you're made of all these billion, trillions of things. And you become aware of them. You go deeper and deeper in them. Eventually, you can get deeper level of information about the rest of the universe, about your consciousness, about how you are, like the root of you, which is much deeper than the personality and everything else maybe that you've developed throughout the years. So Rokeshwa Haridas asks us this, can we equate consciousness to God? Equate thoughts and mind to God? Well, it depends what you mean by God. You know, that's the thing. The precision of language is so difficult. If you mean by God, that it's something that's omnipresent, omniscient, that's everywhere, that knows everything, that organizes everything, then you can associate that directly with the quantum vacuum oscillation. And if that's true and that's consciousness, then there, absolutely, you can make that analogy. But if you make the analogy without the mechanics, without saying either what God is or consciousness is, then you're not much more advanced. So I take it you don't buy the standard model of physics and you don't buy the standard model of God. I don't. And the standard model of physics, I wouldn't say I don't buy it. I just modified it because it had big holes. At the foundation of physics, there was big holes in the understanding of physics. Like if you asked, what is mass? What is electromagnetic fields? What is charge? What is gravity? All this really like unknown, like the source of it. We wrote physics equation, like one of the most commonly used physics equation, the most known equals MC square is a beautiful equation, except that it doesn't tell you anything about anything. Meaning if you ask, what is M in the equation? Mass. We say, we don't know what mass is. And then you ask, well, what is C? Well, we don't know why C is C. We don't know why the speed of light is the speed of light. So that means you have two unknowns on one side, the equal sign. That means you don't know what E is, right? Because it's equal to unknown. So now you have an equation. It's beautiful. There's an equivalence between three unknowns. So you know nothing about nothing. (laughs) So I, I wanted to know. So this is a question from Clement Strzok. Once artificial intelligence becomes self-aware of its own existence and consciousness, how will this impact human consciousness? Well, I guess there's a category to that question, right? Firstly, do you agree that AI can attain consciousness as you define it? This is really important because it's becoming so popular right now, and I'm asked this question often, and I had to meditate on it, and it was a short meditation (laughs) (laughs) because it occurred very quickly to me that there's nothing artificial about consciousness. And so the concept of artificial consciousness or artificial intelligence doesn't compute. There's already a computational issue. And so there's nothing artificial about intelligence. And what I mean by that is intelligence has nothing to do with crunching data. Intelligence is a beautiful emergent field of information that includes emotions and all kinds of things that has nothing to do with crunching ones and zeros. Crunching ones and zeros will never get us to an intelligent being. So do I believe that artificial intelligence will occur, meaning that we can 
place consciousness in an external device? Yes, I believe we will get there. How we will get there? We will get there when we stop trying to do it by crunching ones and zeros and we learn how to tap into this fundamental field of information of consciousness and loop it back on itself on an external device and then it will be self-aware and when it becomes self-aware it will have emotions it will have empathy it will have every characteristic that a human being has now what would that look like would that be using biological means combined with electronic means what do you mean by tapping into consciousness i think it will be using plasma high energy plasma structures in a very confined region of space that creates singularity that creates a tap into the field then the system will become self loop and become self aware wow. okay so now that we've started talking about plasma plasma is one of the states of matter scientists are always discovering new states of matter right now they are around 7 and plasma is the most dominant state of matter in the universe. Correct. Now, it's mostly of what we see in the universe and what we call not plasma is really plasma that's cooled off. I see. Now, right. this is a question from Hayden who's 10 years old. Hayden's my son, he's a big science geek. So, Hayden's curious to understand how are you using plasma to control gravity? In your work, you're using plasma yes to control gravity. And what you've said is, look, Elon Musk wants to get us to Mars using rocketry. Yes. And you said that that's a highly inefficient process. Within 10 years, we'll be able to use plasma in a specific way to control gravity. Okay, so first of all, it's not really feasible to colonize Mars or any other planet or even the moon using rocketry. You know, it makes absolutely no sense. It would be extremely difficult. You know, the supply chain would be very expensive. It would produce massive ecological disaster. We would need hundreds of rockets going up every week, every month, and it would make holes in the atmosphere. Anyway, it's not feasible. Control of gravity is the way we will go to space if we reach that. And we will. I'm confident we will. And you can tell the future of technology because all you got to do is look at science fiction everything right. that we have today was in science fiction prior to us having it because science fiction is the imagination of consciousness creating its future just to give an example of that if you were watching star trek the next generation in the 1990s and you notice that people in star trek using a tricorder we now have a tricorder in fact this is more advanced than the tricorders in star trek and it's called a smartphone <laughs> yes. right and so who would have thought that it would emerge in 18 years from 1990 exactly and things are accelerating and what i'm talking about gravity control is not in five generations from now it's not in 10 generations from now it's at our doorstep There's laboratories all around the world including mine working on it and NASA uh, and you uh, say yeah. this is going to come to the world within 10 years. Oh yes, we already have good results in some of the laboratories with some of the device in creating gravitational anomaly and so on. You know, all of our current technology today came from us learning to control magnetic fields and electromagnetic fields from Maxwell's equation and Faraday and we've produced this amazing civilization technological civilization the next step is to learn to control gravity and birth our civilization into a space colony 
and you're doing this with plasma. Can you give a quick layman's idea of how you're doing this? Right. So not all laboratories have taken that approach. I've taken it because early on in the physics I wrote, I realized that we needed to spin highly dense magnetic field at high velocity. And some of the experiments in microgravity alterations came from spinning a superconductive magnetic disk at 5,000 RPM, but 5,000 RPM is very slow. You can turn plasma close to the speed of light. So you can imagine if you reproduce the same experiments, but at a much higher velocity, you can get much larger effects. So it was clear to me that rotating a physical object was too slow. And I realized, oh, why don't we just biomimic what the universe is doing, right? Because it's spinning plasma out there and it's producing gravitational field. Let's make a little star in a jar. So I eventually manufactured and patented a device that basically confines plasma inside a crystal ball. <laughs> I get in trouble. And all it's spinning, the way. and it's spinning this plasma, and, yeah, creating and a it's gravity spin- field. Exactly produce gravitational alteration. So you believe that within 10 years, we might be able to control gravity to some degree? Absolutely, yeah. What will this look like in terms of what we as humanity would then be capable of? Well, it looks like being able to come off the surface, literally. Controlling gravity will allow us to put all of our vehicles in the air. So flying cars becomes a reality. Exactly. The Jetsons, (laughs) you know, that will occur and that'll allow us to remove most of the pavement and roads and all this off the surface, give the earth back to the earth. Initially, it will probably just start with common vehicles like planes no longer using carburation, but using gravitational drive and so on. But eventually, individuals will have the same capability, and it will allow you to, you know, fly outside the atmosphere into space, go to the moon for the weekend, come back for, you know, lunch with a friend and go back for supper. It will allow us to move around about the solar system at a much faster rate. And if you look at the evolution of consciousness on our planet, it's directly linked to our capacity to move about. You know, from the cavemen that couldn't go very far to eventually us that are able to get on this metal object, which is completely crazy for even 150 years ago. If you said to someone, I'm going to get on this metal object and I'm going to go across the world to Australia, you got burnt at the stake for saying something like that. (laughs) But now we do it daily and we don't think twice about it. It's going to be the same. It's just the technology behind it is going to be completely different. And that's very interesting to think about. If you go back 100 years to the 1920s, it would seem unconceivable. That was before Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic. It will seem inconceivable that today, like air travel is so commonplace. And one of the things that really struck me was Peter Diamandis saying that between 1900 and 2000, there was a massive outburst in human innovation, but there was an equal amount of innovation between 2000 and 2016, in 16 years. And there's going to be an equal amount of innovation between 2016 and 2022. And what this means is that we're going through an exponential curve of innovation. That's right. Between 2016 and 2022, we will see as much innovation in the world as between 1900 and 2000, the invention of the airplane, the transistor, and so on. And it's astonishing when you think about this. So when the Nassim says that this is coming in 10 years, it's quite possible that this may be so. 
Exactly. And there's a lot of people working on it and they're very smart people. But importantly is that the physics understanding and the theory behind it is now present, meaning we're starting to realize, oh my God, particles are not just in some, you know, vacuum space, but they're actually in a field interacting with this field. And this is the fundamental discovery that's going to make all this possible. And since that is present now and it's becoming more and more accepted by the standard community of physics, and there's a lot of smart people out there, it's definitely on its way. Extraction of energy from the structure of space, that has been done and it's on its way to the public. And gravitational control. Now, how soon before you think humanity can colonize a distant star? Because traveling to the moon just, is one thing. Just to address one thing about the naysayers out there, the physicists that throws tomatoes at me. But I don't mind because I'm Italian, so I can make good sauce with tomatoes. <laughs> you know, even when the Wright brothers flew the plane, and I'm not going to say the first plane because there was other people in Europe that were doing similar things, for almost up to 10 years, there was papers in physics that were being published proving without the shadow of the doubt, that that could not be done and that it was a hoax. So, you know, it takes a little bit of time for people to catch up. So how long before we can start sending human beings to Alpha Centauri? To Alpha Centauri? Yeah. Okay, well, that's going to be a little longer <laughs> because we have to open wormholes. Right, we... so wormholes, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, exactly. But the physics are there. I just want to make clear that when I'm talking about wormholes, you know, this is predicted by Einstein field equation. It's well supported by observation, meaning that like Einstein field equation in their classical form are very well supported. But it was until recently thought that it's not possible to open any of those wormholes and travel through them because the energy requirement to do so were just over the top. Now that we have discovered that there's this field of information, this field of energy present, and that the density of that field is so high, now the physics works out that Absolutely, you can open wormholes if you can tap into that field of energy. And that's why people like Sonny White at NASA and others are literally working on warp drives as we speak today. Right, right. That, that's astonishing they to can think. see in the physics and in the math that there's a path to getting there. So NASA is working on warp drives. And a warp drive would simply be the ability to open a wormhole, to jump across space without being limited by the speed of light, and using anti-gravity. Yeah, using gravity control. And that will take probably a while before we have the expertise to be able to safely reconstruct you on the other side of that wormhole, you know, so that all your molecules end up at the right place at the right moment. So it's like teleportation. When you go into a wormhole, you're disappearing. Is that what's going on? This is where standard theory doesn't quite cut it to describe what's happening, and this is the new theory that's emerging, is basically all the particles in the universe are entangled. This is a theory by one of the greatest theorists on the planet that's called ER equals EPR. This is from Sutskin, Montesino, and others that show that you can write physics in such a way that 
entangled particles, which we measure in laboratory. Does everybody know what entanglement is? You can get two particles to be entangled in such a way that when you tickle this one, the other one laughs. And it doesn't matter how far the other one is. It gets the joke. Like you tell it to this one and the other one's laughing. And it means if you change the spin of a proton over here, the spin of the proton will align itself. That's right. No matter how far. No matter how far they are. And they're starting to be able to do it with macro objects like diamonds. Right. So that you hit this diamond with a laser and the other one is wiggling like you're hitting it with the laser. And there's no delay. That is, it doesn't matter how far the particles are. It's instantaneous. When you modify this one, the other one is modified. Now, if that's instantaneous, then information there is traveling faster than the speed of light. Well, this is why quantum theory and relativity don't agree so well. But that's the beauty of this view that's emerging that, you know, I came to the same conclusion from a different angle. ER equals EPR. R is for Rosen bridges, Einstein Rosen, right? ER, which is the wormhole equals EPR, which is Einstein Podolsky Rosen, which is entanglement at the quantum level. So it's saying that the reason particles become entangled is because wormholes form between wow. them, which is basically relativity applied at the quantum level. That's where unification of physics... So entanglement, particle entanglement, is yes. an evidence for micro-wormholes. Micro-wormholes, connecting things. And so basically what we're going to do when we're traveling through wormholes we're going to make the information of you and the ship and everything in the ship, the whole universe, we're going to throw it into the wormhole, black hole structure network of the universe and reconstruct it on the other side. On, you know, it might be a galaxy thousands and thousands of billions of light years away from here. So then is that traveling through a wormhole or is that teleportation? What is the difference? It depends how you think of teleportation. And the reason I'm hesitating is because there's very specific, precise language in physics that describe teleportation. And I'm trying to like say it in a more layman way. But let's just say that basically I'm deconstructing all the information that you are and reconstructing it on the other side after it has gone through the network of the universe, right? But if that's true, then you're deconstructing someone and bringing them back. Can you deconstruct someone, back them up, so when they die, you can recreate them? Can we then bring people back from the dead? Like, could I have backup copies of my favorite dog? <laughs> you already uh, do, because the information is in the structure of yeah, space. Yeah, and, and if Hayden disappoints me as an adult, could I just... We create a 10-year-old. Oh, that's and, a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> because he might be not so agreeable to Hayden, that idea. I'm just kidding. I, my 12-year-old is already not so agreeable with some of my ideas. But you can imagine that, yes, what you are is information in the structure of space. And you're constantly updating the universe. Every plunk second, you're actually updating the universe about your experience. And so you can think of yourself as actually like being here and not being here, being here and not being here. So let me put it in more simple terms. You're trying to do a simple physics calculation, right? You would think you can do in high school. You want to know how fast your hand is going from A to B. Simple, clear, 
you start at A, it goes to B, you figure out how long it took to get there, and you can put the velocity at which it had to travel to go from A to B. Is that true? No. If you're trying to do real physics, if you're trying to actually be completely honest about what you're trying to measure, you have a huge problem. Because as your hand went from A to B, the earth was spinning. And so you have to add that velocity to your hand moving, and it's spinning pretty fast. And then that's going around the sun, right? So now you have to add that velocity because while your hand was moving, it did move in that direction with the earth and around the sun, right? So you have to add that. And then the sun's going at 300 kilometers per second in the galaxy. So now you have to add that. And then the galaxy is orbiting around the cluster, the super, and like, whoa, your hand is going millions of miles per second now, <laughs> right? And eventually, if you keep adding that, eventually you get to the speed of light. So like, what is going on? What is your hand doing? Well, it's only moving at that velocity you calculated in high school relative to you. But relative to the universe, what is the universe doing when it's moving then? What is movement? What is that, right? Well, the only conclusion you can come to is that your hand is undoing itself, redoing itself, undoing itself, redoing itself. So it's your hand is your hand, and then it's the hole, and then it's your hand, and then it's a hole, and then it's your hand, then it's the hole. And it's happening at frames of Planck time, so it's happening really, really fast. Just like a movie is frames that appears to produce linear motion, but is actually frames that are being passed by a light at speed high enough that you don't see the discontinuity. So from that point of view, our bodies are deconstructing and reconstructing itself at Planck second intervals and the, across and the universe, across millions of miles. Yeah, imagine that that's occurring at the Planck scale, right? Very, very, very fast. And then imagine the dampening of that same undoing and redoing itself, happening at a much larger scale like biology, you're doing that right now. A month ago is not the same guy. Like you've redone your liver, you've redone your blood a whole bunch of times, you've redone your skin. You, and within three years, you've pretty well redone the whole thing. So you're actually redoing and undoing and redoing yourself like every second as well. So now you can imagine... If I get this undoing, redoing thing, first of all, I can redo myself a little different if I want to be different, but I can undo my hand there and redo it there without doing all the points in between. See? Space travel across the universe. Mind blown. You just touched on something which is so mind-bending, we can't go really deep into it. But you said you can redo yourself somewhat different. You can change your physical appearance. You can change your biology. Now, this comes to a question from KT, who's watching online, and she says, can we train our programs or bodies to heal itself from any disease and stop aging? Sort of like Wolverine from X-Men. <laughs> that image never occurred to me, but I can see how that... Yes, I totally believe so. Why is your body keep redoing itself the same way? because it has memory in the structure of space. So now, if your consciousness is the interaction of that memory in space, then you should ultimately have the control on what is being remembered. 
right? Right. So if you change what's being remembered, then you should get a direct correlation to what's happening when your body is redoing itself. So if it keeps redoing itself with a tumor on the liver, why can't you change it to redoing itself without the tumor on the liver? Well, people do all the time. Actually, 30% of the people do. They call that the placebo effect or spontaneous remission. So there's a very high level of studies that are occurring right now to see the impact. People call it like the impact of consciousness on reality and on our body. And we see clearly in these studies that we have the capacity to change the material world, even to influence computers, random generators. You sit a person in front of a random generator and you ask them to influence it. And and I'm not talking some like guru from India or right. some, you Ordinary know, psychic people. or right. just like you pluck somebody off the street, you put them in front of a computer and you ask them to influence yeah, it. Yeah, Princeton University study path. Yeah. Right? Phenomenal. So thank you guys. Tomorrow we'll see you for a day of Nassim. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked what you hear, please go ahead and leave us a review. We love your reviews. They help encourage other people to listen to the Mind Valley podcast. And if you thought that experience was fascinating, consider signing up for Mind Valley University. The next event is happening in Pula, Croatia in 2019. And you can learn more at mindvalley.com forward slash you, as in the letter U mindvalley.com forward slash you. Mindvalley University is one of the most remarkable events in the personal growth industry. For one entire month, people from all across the world move to a city together. A campus is built out of scratch. And really, this is a new style of university. Regular university is four years of your life in a bubble with people your age. Mindvalley University is one month every year for 48 years with people across every age and some of the world's greatest teachers. Can't wait to see you in Pula, Croatia. Check it out, mindvalley.com forward slash you. And I'll see you next week on the Mindvalley podcast. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.